Matthew chapter 2, if you have a Bible, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 11. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people in Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Wink, wink, nod, nod. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Roger Kipling wrote, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Mr. Kipling loved questions. Roger Kipling, of course, wrote two very famous works. Of course, everybody knows about The Jungle Book. Perhaps less people know about his Christmas poem called Christmas in India. One of my favorite lines from the poem is, And at home they're making merry, Neath the white and scarlet berry. He wrote about home. And he wrote about childhood. And he wrote about memories. And the need to be with the people we love at Christmas time. My father loved to hear me read this story. He would say, Gino, hey, read the story about the wise guys. <laughs> I go, Dad, they're the wise men. He goes, yeah, I know, I know. Mr. Kipling loved questions. I hope you do too. As a matter of fact, what are your favorite questions at Christmas time? I know what my grandchildren's favorite questions are. What will I get for Christmas? Why do we even have Christmas? When will Christmas come? How will it come? Where will I find myself? When, once Christmas is over, and who will find me? What questions might you ask of the text? 
What light might we gather from the question and his star? What wisdom might we glean from the wise men from afar? What worship might we bring to heaven's faithful king? In verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The wise men had made a long and dangerous journey through hundreds of miles of desert. It could very well be that you've also made a long and difficult journey. You may have come from as far as Lakewood, or Highlands Ranch. Maybe some of you came all the way from Parker. But no matter how far you've come and no matter how interesting the journey has been, you may be at the beginning or the middle or towards the end of the journey. But it has been a journey. They've come after years and years of waiting, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. You may not know this, but this is the very first question that's asked in the New Testament. I find that interesting. And the reason why I find it interesting is because do you know what the very first question ever asked in the Bible by God? Do you know what question that is? It's found in the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve are hiding in a garden and the Lord says, where are you? This second, this question in the New Testament would never, ever, ever have been asked if it weren't for the very first question being asked. The question comes not from Jewish people, but from Gentile people. And what a question it is. Where is he? Where is he? He's been born the king of the Jews. Why would an entourage of Gentiles even ask such a question? And in order to answer that question, we have to ask a different question. Who were these wise men? It would seem that they were very powerful Parthian emissaries. You may not know very much about the Parthian Empire, but it was huge and powerful. And it was Rome's implacable enemy. The Parthian Empire was made of the remnants of the Medo-Persian Empire, parts of Alexander's empire in the east. It comprised much of the northern part of Africa, Arabia. It touched all the way through Persia and Iraq and even parts of India. And I think it's interesting. We have every reason to believe that this is a large delegation with perhaps thousands, yes, thousands of troops. If in your mind you grew up with the same image I did of a a manger scene with three wise men, it's probably incorrect. As a matter of fact, if you want to be correct in your nativity scene, what you have to do is you have to put the wise men probably in the backyard as they make their journey towards the Christmas tree because it's going to take about two years for them to get there. We think or we celebrate three kings because there were three gifts given, but we have every reason to believe that that isn't true. 
that thousands of troops came and their entrance shocked and disturbed Herod in Jerusalem. Some have suggested that these men were kingmakers, the disciples of the prophet Daniel and their generations after them. You'll remember that Daniel saved the wise men of Babylon and left a legacy with the Persian Empire as well. And myth and legend suggest that there were three, but there really probably was a massive amount of troops and they were given the royal treatment in Herod's court and they were given diplomatic permission to continue their search. And guess what? They <laughs> were from the Middle East. They would have been targeted at any airport in the Middle East. Whatever this supernatural light was that guided them, it led them westward to Judea and eventually to the holy city. And the Bible doesn't record the color or the dimensions or the magnitude of this light. But these wise men were convinced, and this is important, that it was... His star. And I find that interesting. Because the faithful minister has to ask the right questions. And the faithful minister, like this star, has to point people to heaven's king. And whatever else this light was and wherever else it came from, it pointed people to the king. To Jesus. Whatever else the star's purpose was, it was to point people to Jesus. And this king is no ordinary king. His coming is the subject of prophecy. His appearance is accompanied by celestial signs and wonders. And the king makers have come to pay homage and acknowledge his right to rule. So what can we glean from this very, very first question written in the New Testament? Well, the wise men were in search of a person. Where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? They're not in search of a religion. They're not even in search of a philosophy. They're not in search of, of some profound bit of knowledge or some system of thought or some sacred object. Whoever this person is, he merits their attention, their dedication, their preoccupation. The wise men are in search of a king, but not just any king. He's the promised king who will rule an eternal kingdom. And someone has said, to want all that God wants, to always and always want it for all occasions and without reservations, this is the kingdom of God which is within. It was his way of saying whatever the kingdom of God is, it's to want what God wants inside of our heart. And we see the world's unexpected response. Look what it says. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
The prophet Micah had predicted that the bread that would come down from heaven would be born in the city of bread. But haven't you ever wondered why Herod was so upset with the Magi's presence and with the Magi's question? The reason why Herod was so upset both with their presence and with their question is because he's thinking, wait a minute. You're looking for the king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. Clearly from the text, they're not looking for him. If I were to make a movie of this particular passage of scripture, I would cast Danny DeVito as Herod. The reason why in history Herod was about four foot four. He was very, very small. He was a client king to Rome. His father had been appointed king by the Roman authorities and he himself was appointed king by a man named Mark Antony. He's well documented in history. Ancient historians paint a picture of a man who was clever in his genius, ambition in, ambitious in his building projects and power. He was unstable and cruel. As a matter of fact, we believe that Herod, or at least someone in his immediate vicinity, helped invent cement. My dad always loved that part of the story, too. Because he'd say, what kind of cement? i go... Dad, it's the kind of cement that stays solid underwater. He goes, I like that. One night, in a fit of rage, he murdered his wife and his three children. The next morning, he built a tower to her memory. And archaeologists say that it remains to this very day in the city of Jerusalem. Caesar Augustus said, it's safer to be Herod's pig than his son, and at his death, he ordered a hundred leading citizens of Jerusalem to be arrested on trumped-up charges so that the whole city would mourn, if not for him, at least for them. Herod did die, but the guards didn't have the heart to carry out his dying wish to kill those people. The wise men had no idea that their inquiry would put the child in danger. You see, they came and they're asking this honest question because they want to know the truth. Whether or not the promises that Daniel had made would still come to pass. And the wise men's question remains a dangerous question. Why? Herod thinks he's the king of the Jews. And there can't be two kings of one people. And the question remains the same today. You see, God shows up. Jesus appears. And he wants to be the king of the earth. He wants to be the king of the world. He wants to be the king in your family. And he wants to be the king in your heart. And you see, that's exactly the problem. Because there are people who say, wait a minute. I don't want Jesus to be the king of my heart. I want to be the king of my heart. We want 
to be free from control. We want Jesus to remain in a manger. We want him to be a baby who creates no threat or an invisible ruler who wants to give us presents. But sometimes Jesus shows up and he makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Herod's concern causes him to seek counsel from the chief priests and the scribes of the people. Where is this Christ that is the anointed one to be born? Herod's counselors didn't have to search long for the answer. Most of them knew the answer by heart. The prophet Micah in chapter 5 predicted this long ago that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that Bethlehem is only some seven miles away. To put that in perspective, if you were to go seven miles to the north or the south or the east or the west, you could go there in just a matter of minutes. It was only a few miles away and any one of them could have made the journey. I think it's interesting too that the star doesn't at first lead the wise men directly to the Savior, but he leads them to Jerusalem and then to the scriptures. The reason why I think that that's interesting is because we live in a world where we look around at the world in which we live and we ask questions of this world. What is this world? How did it get here and why am I here? Where did your search begin? Where was it that you first asked the question about Christmas? about Jesus, about truth? Has your search brought you to Jerusalem and the scriptures? And what's interesting to me is that these wise men also persevered in their search. Even when the star stopped, the physical universe prompts the question, why are we here? What are you made of? What are the stars? How far does the universe stretch? I was reading one physicist who happens to be a quantum physicist, and he talked about that if you took the world and you began to shrink it down a billion times and then a trillion times as you divided it over and over and over again and you came to this invisible world of the atom and the subatomic particles and then you were to make them big again that the difference in the size of the subatomic particle would be the difference in the size between this earth and the known universe. The incredibly small is very big, and the incredibly big is way big. I have friends who are atheists and agnostics and philosophical naturalists. Many Christians come to faith by way of science. What's interesting to me is that science has a way of doing one of two things. It will reveal to people who want to know the truth and it will conceal from people who are committed to not knowing the truth. God reveals questions in nature and then points people to God, but some people are unwilling to believe what nature says. You see, these wise men watched stars. They were astrologers. Do you realize how disconcerting that is to theologians and Bible teachers? 
that the wise men show up and ask the questions of such importance? It says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared and what happened when the wise men showed up. He arranged a meeting. Herod arranges a meeting with them. He wants to know at what time the star appeared. And the question seems to indicate that whatever this star was, it wasn't visible to him. Herod wants to know this information. He wants to know it, not so that he can honor the, the child, so he can kill the child. It says in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He sends the wise men to Bethlehem. Go and search carefully. That's an interesting word. In the original language, it means search accurately. Search diligently. Pay special attention. And again, it's interesting. He says, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated, this is Luke in chapter 1, verse 3. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated, same word, investigated, everything from the beginning, it seems good to me that I write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. The same word carefully is the word that Luke describes as he writes down the story of the birth and the life and the death of Jesus. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, same word, accurately, carefully, diligently. Herod wants to find the child because the child's a threat to him. Herod has no intention of acknowledging the child as king. He has every intention to kill the child. His motives are going to be revealed in his actions and it becomes true to this very day. What you really want inside of your heart will eventually make its way out in the way that you act and in the way that you live. You see, the wise men's motives are going to be revealed in the wise men's actions. And the same is true of you. What you really want what you really desire, what you really think you desire, will eventually be acted out. It's an interesting statement to me where it says, the star stopped over the young child. It's interesting that the star went before the wise men until it was forced to stop at Revelation's final destination, Charles Spurgeon said, when the star had come to the place where the young child was, it stood still. Spurgeon said, so should the gracious mind become settled, fixed, immovable. The wise men knew where to find the star and where to find the child, where it would be. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The star led the wise men first to Jerusalem and then the scriptures and then to the child himself. What led you to Christ? 
what was it that caused you to believe in Jesus? Was it a star? Was it something or someone that pointed you in the right direction? Again, I think embarrassed Bible teachers and scholars, when they discover that God uses objects of Eastern idolatry to bring these wise men to Christ, but we sometimes forget that God controls the stars. And maybe your journey has come in an unusual way. In verse 11, it says, And when they'd come into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Note what the text says. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Jesus has left the manger and, and the stable, and they worshiped him, not them. We admire and respect Mary. But we don't worship Mary. The wise men came looking for a person. The wise men came looking for a king. They were looking for a person and a king and they found a child. They came looking for truth. Truth from God. And knowing the truth was going to involve time and perseverance and difficulty and even sacrifice. But we would do well to learn the lesson of the wise men. Their experience teaches us how we can find the will of God for our lives. Note, they followed the light that was given to them. If you really want to know what God wants from you, then turn on the light. They confirmed their steps with the word of God. Once they were going in the right direction, they were able to open up their Bible to see where they needed to be. And they obeyed and honored and then worshiped the Lord when they found him. You see, if you follow the light that's been given to you and you confirm your steps with the word of God, you're going to wind up in the right place at the right time. Worship begins with humility. They fell down. The wise men came with an attitude of reverence and worship. The first question again asked by God, where are you? The question asked by these Gentiles, this first question in the New Testament where is he who is born the king of the Jews? I think it's interesting that the answer, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews, is found in three places in the New Testament. The first is in the atonement in John chapter 19, verses 17 through 19. Where is Jesus? There is going to be a sign that will be hung over his cross that will say, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Later in the New Testament, you're going to find him on a cross. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, where is Jesus? You're going to find him in heaven as he advocates for the saints. Where is Jesus? According to Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, the answer is found in your heart. Ephesians 3, 17, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. The Magi? They're going to find him. 
and they're going to give him gifts. In the New Testament, Jesus is going to live and he's going to die on a cross and he's going to come back to life. He's going to go into heaven where he thinks about you every moment of every day. Did you know that? Jesus is in heaven right now thinking about you. And that's why we invite him into our hearts. That's why we believe that he is the Lord. Every Christmas I like to share a poem that I wrote years ago. It goes like this. "'Twas the night before Christmas in David's hometown. The city was crammed with people pressed down. Joseph and Mary searched seeking some room. Her belly so swollen, a child in her room. Pilgrims were piled on top of each other, flesh pressing flesh, children, fathers and mothers. With patience and prayer, the couple conceded that a little personal privacy was desperately needed. The innkeeper sighed and said, we're unable to provide a shelter, just this simple stable. And surrounded by cattle and goats in a manger, things continued to worsen and soon got stranger. When all of a sudden contractions they came, muscles contorted, twisted in pain. Both mother and father were weeping and crying. The pain and the horror, she felt she was dying. But she pushed. And she pushed. And a baby did come, a beautiful baby, a beautiful son. And she wrapped her new baby in swaddling clothes and remembered the name that the angels had chose. His name will be Jesus, the Savior of all. Emmanuel, rock, redeemer, recall. And voices were heard from angels on high, proclaiming God's word from Bethlehem's sky. And the angels appeared to the shepherds by night, attending their flocks, beheld the great sight. Glory to God and goodwill toward men. A savior, redeemer, deliver from sin. And the child who was dressed in the swaddling clothes listened and listened to praise and the prose from the cries of his mother and the songs that were sung glimpsed into a future across where he hung. And prophets and poets and pundits and people all crammed into churches with pews in their steeples would listen to preachers and point to their stories about saving grace and God's glories. But who would have guessed on the night before Christmas that most of the world would have certainly missed us because Jesus, oh Jesus, is nowhere in sight and the day in the darkness slips into the night. On the night before Christmas in a freshly swept stable, the blood and the sweat and the cries, if we're able, we miss the whole point of what we've done and the need for a savior and the need for a son. And perhaps on this Christmas, we'll remember what's real. We'll remember the purpose. We'll remember the deal of why Jesus came to an earth such as ours to deliver our souls from this fateful hour. And so when your Christmas comes with great cheer, remember your soul. Remember, my dear, remember the Savior who came in the night and remember your sin as it slips out of sight. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you 
that we can remember Jesus, that we can remember his sacrifice, that we can remember his love. Lord, we pray that the gospel would set us straight. That, Lord, we would understand our priorities. That, Lord, we would go in the direction of the light that's been given to us. That we would open our Bibles and see what it has to say about Jesus. And that we would believe that what it says is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready? We've got, is it candlelight time? Yes. Time to light the candles. They're going to pass them out to you.